Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. I'm John Potthorts, the editor of Commentary Magazine. Noah Rothman is out on a well-deserved vacation with me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. And senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. Oh, there's so much to talk about. Among other things, uh, we, maybe we'll get to this a little later. Uh, 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 Thomas Edsel has a, a piece in the New York Times this morning on the size, the sheer size of the corporate commitment to radical measures following the George Floyd murder and the and the events that uh, immediately. Uh, followed in its aftermath. So uh, listen to this. Candid, a website that connects people who want to change the world with the resources they need to do it, uh, discovered that before Floyd's death, philanthropies provided $3.3 billion in racial equity funding for the nine years from 2011 to 2019. So in other words, the average would be 3.3 divided by nine or about 300 300 some odd million dollars a year. Since then, candid calculations revealed much higher totals for both 20 and 21. 50,887 grants valued at $12.7 billion and 177 pledges valued at $11.6 billion. So since George Floyd, that is, I believe, 24. billion in grants given to racial equity funding. Let me repeat that number. $24.3 billion just since the George Floyd murder. Uh, That is the largest amount of philanthropic money ever spent on any one cause in this short a period of time ever, probably by a factor of 10, maybe more. And so... um, Uh, You can see how this um, institutional cave to the theories of uh, racial inequity and uh, and, and, uh, victimhood uh, and all of that, um, just the the, the sheer size of it is mind-blowing. And uh, the Metzl piece uh, stipulates or sort of argues that Uh, This poses a great danger to Democrats because the causes that are being funded are so far to the left of where voters are that uh, this is creating a sort of counter level to uh, any ability that Democrats and liberals have to refocus their efforts against defunding the police and uh, various other such, such causes simply because it's just so insanely lucrative uh, and because there is going to be this entire superstructure, uh, tens of thousands, if not more people employed specifically in the pursuit of these, these aims. Abe, you've just written a piece for our February issue, which, which will come out uh, at the end of next week. I don't want to like blow the surprise or anything, but you, but uh, this piece is about, how stands the revolution of 2020? And uh, you have a very flavored and mixed version of, of, of what's going on that's both depressing and heartening in some ways. But what do you make of this 
$24 billion in, you know, a year and a half. Um, I'm not entirely surprised. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, helpful to have an, a number to put to it. One of the things that it makes me think of is that, so that's the, so we talk about the, the, the massive money, the massive amount that goes, goes toward these things um, and the, the political fallout. But the other reality is when that kind of money is behind these things, then look on the other side and consider the people who go to work, who have to deal in this world, who we try to counsel and say, be brave, stand up, don't, 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 don't say yes to things you don't believe, don't falsely accuse people, don't go along with the garbage. But you, you have to consider exactly what they're up against. I'm not talking about politicians. I'm not talking about moguls. I'm talking about people who have to go to work every day and deal down at the low, mid to lower levels of the superstructure you described. And that, that is that the forces ranged against them are so powerful. It, it reminds me, it's exactly right, because it reminds me of what we have seen this happen in microcosm on college campuses over the last five to 10 years, right? The, the bloated bureaucracy of both enforcement and diversity, equity, inclusion type initiatives, particularly in the last few years have, have ramped up. But the reason, for example, that your kid's college tuition is so high it's because it has to pay these bureaucrats, many of whom, most of whom make in the, you know, upper five to, to lower six figures for their jobs and their entire purpose to, to justify their job and their existence. They have to create and find problems that in many of these, many of these campuses and among many of these student bodies don't exist. They fund, they basically fund bad behavior in a way. If you, if you look at it from the perspective of those of us who are quite skeptical of this woke revolution. So now we have, and, and what that's led to, are campuses where students do feel like they can't say certain things or do certain things or where they face, you know, kind of crazy Kafka-like uh, prosecutions of their behavior. So that's been happening and we, we've seen that play out and that's certainly likely to ramp up in, in, the, in the corporate world and the, the private uh, sector universe. And I, I unfortunately, I'm a pretty pessimistic. I agree with Abe. I think it's going to be harder and harder for people who just want to make a living and go through life and just be decent people not to have to proactively sign on to a lot of these agendas. You, you can no longer be neutral in this environment. Because, you know, when you talk about that kind of money going and creating these kind of these, these kind of um, new departments and, and new, um, you know, there'll, there'll be new supposedly nonprofit corporations. Right? They have to justify their existence. Um, that means they have to invent things for you to do. They have to they have to craft hoops for you to jump through. Um, if you think there are there, we have a lot of them now, they're not going to be, we, we need more other, otherwise, where's all the money going to, how do they justify their existence? But we do have this very interesting political moment. So life is going to get worse for mid-level bureaucrats, white collar workers, uh, people in sort of like the thinking or the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the kind of elite industries, all of whom are going to are going to be living under this uh, have been living under this regime, but uh, where this regime is going to now be supplying an endless stream of new initiatives, new ways to enforce this new orthodoxy, uh, new documents, new new training classes, new forms of uh, kowtowing that will be demanded, and all of that. And at the same time, you can see how all of this. And this is the subject of Edsel's piece. Are going to lead 
to a political backlash because those people that we are talking about will have one and only one way to express themselves in private, in secret, uh, and uh, without uh, raising their heads, and that is in at the ballot box. And that brings us to the astonishing story of the new DA uh, in Manhattan, the new district attorney uh, elected in November, um, Alvin Bragg. Uh, what Alvin Bragg announced uh, the day after his swearing in is nothing less than a recipe for Republican political dominance for the next 10 to 20 years. He is a progressive prosecutor, uh, a black activist, and he announced, as I'm sure many people already know, uh, that uh, his office, quote, will not seek a carceral sentence, meaning prison, in the cases of conviction secured by his office, except with homicides and a handful of other cases, including domestic violence felonies, some sex crimes, and public corruption. This rule, the memo reads, may be accepted only in extraordinary circumstances based on a holistic analysis of the facts, criminal history, victims' input, particularly in cases of violence or trauma, and any other information available. Assistant District Attorneys under Bragg's command must also now keep in mind, quote, the impacts of incarceration, unquote. Does it really increase public safety? Will it, will it create future potential barriers to convicts involving their employment and housing, the financial cost of prison, and the racial disparities over who gets time. I'm just going to read a little more specifically from the memo, okay? Quote, armed robbers who use guns or other deadly weapons to stick up stores and other businesses will be prosecuted only for petty larceny, a misdemeanor, provided no victims were seriously injured and there's no genuine risk of physical harm to anyone. Armed robbery, a Class B felony, would typically be punishable by a maximum of 25 years in prison, while petty larceny subjects uh, offenders to up to 364 days in jail and a $1,000 fine. Criminal, convicted criminals caught with weapons other than guns will have those felony charges downgraded to misdemeanors unless they're also charged with more serious offenses. Burglars who steal from residential storage areas, parts of homes that aren't accessible to a living area, and businesses located in mixed-use buildings will be prosecuted for a low-level Class D felony that covers only break-ins instead of more serious crimes. And drug dealers believed to be acting as a low-level agent of a seller will be prosecuted only for misdemeanor possession. And, uh, and there, is, there, there is more. So we have the largest city in New York by factor of two. Uh, that is, you know, a wash in a, in a crime wave. Uh, the, you know, not the largest of the five boroughs, but obviously the most influential or important of the five boroughs in that sense. And the chief prosecutor is now announcing um, that he's not going to seek prison time for almost everyone who comes before a judge and is convicted on charges brought by his office. So $24 billion in spending is all well and good. Uh, a year of this, two years of this, uh, 
you know, woe betide, uh, woe betide every Democrat in the country. But there are two things. If you're a, if you're the average citizen who go trying to go about your day in, in a law abiding way, do your job, keep your family safe and you live in 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 Manhattan, you should do two things. If you ever have, if you're a store owner, for example, if you run a bodega and someone sticks a gun in your face and is only charged with a misdemeanor, sue the city for emotional harm and the damage it causes to have a life-threatening situation downgraded. Every single one of them should do that. Every single person in New York who is eligible for one should get a concealed carry permit and buy themselves a gun because what he has just said, and this is ironic coming from the side of the aisle that tends to talk about gun control, is that you may lawlessly wave a life-threatening weapon pointed at someone, which is a threatening a life-threatening men it doesn't matter if it's loaded or not it doesn't matter what their intention is if you have a gun in your hand and you're pointing it at someone you intend to kill them that is the only message that sends to anyone and we all know this the idea that that is not treated as the very serious crime it is and i say this i'm getting agitated because i've had friends had guns shoved in their face it is a traumatizing experience even if you leave completely without a scratch and just your wallet or your car stolen it is traumatizing it stays with you it is meant to inspire fear it is done by people who feel that the law doesn't apply to them so what he has just said is you're right it doesn't apply to you you may lawlessly put a gun in someone's face knowing that we will not go after you for that harm and this is going to lead to a lot more criminals getting a lot more guns in their hands and absolute havoc in the streets. If this is allowed to continue, uh, people will die as a result of this. They, they, Absolutely. They, they will not only be traumatized because the, the more guns in people's faces means m- m- the trigger will be pulled uh, more often. Um, even, even though that's, that's, that's the only crime that, uh, that uh, you can, you, you can begin to invoke uh, the, the carceral solution for um, it doesn't matter. Also, um, Bragg has uh, said that, um, uh, you know, quality of life crimes, you know, the sort of smaller, um, you know, sort of daily, uh, the, the, the kind of stuff that was cracked down on in the during the broken windows age, those you can forget about prosecuting altogether. Um, and and we know historically, sociologically, that when when that happens, that leads to to a, a greater rate of uh, the committing of violent crimes. So if you're going to go up the scale of violence and seriousness from there and, and say that even even these more menacing crimes don't matter, um, people will die as a result of this policy. I'm glad that you guys are engaging with the substance of Bragg's demented memo, but I'm not even sure that the substance matters here. It, it does. It, everybody on Earth the news is you don't go to prison in New York's in Manhattan if you commit a burglary, if you commit any crime but murder, you are more likely, you are far less likely to go to prison. I mean, you are far more likely to escape imprisonment than you are to go to prison. What do you want? What do you want to give Republicans to make their lives easy? You want to give Republicans? There is no Democrat in this country who is safe from being tagged with what Alvin Bragg has done here. Okay, because not only look, let's 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 like let's talk talkless here. This is uh, this is one of the largest municipalities in. Manhattan alone is one of the largest municipalities in the United States. He's only voted on by the voters in Manhattan. 
I haven't looked at the vote count, but you know, certainly got more votes than Chesa Boudin did, and certainly more votes than Larry Krasner probably did in, in Philadelphia and various other places. Um, and he is decriminalizing crime. He is de he is removing the specter of punishment from the formula of crime and punishment. Well, it, no, demo, it's not like he's a, a lunatic in, you know, Paducah, Kentucky. He is the DA of Manhattan, New York County, in New York City. This is, if I'm a Democrat right now, I am terrified. I'm going to try to find any, any safe harbor from this. Because it can be used every day, in every election, local, state, federal, period. This is what your party wants. In the center of the universe for Democrats, New York City, this is what, you're, this is what these people are going to bring. This guy is the harbinger of a Democratic president saying that no one should go to prison for committing well crimes. Uh, once again, not to step on my piece that's that's coming soon, but but to tease it, um, this is how Democrats paid the price already for defund uh, in the last November's election. A slew of Democrats who backed defund and and associated policies defunding the police were voted out of office, were shot down in some cases in in in, in upsets. Um, so yeah, you 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 are right, but you know. The other thing is this is good because I mean this is this is the this is the trade off with all these horrors because there's a at the, well at the same time that these campaigns for of these radical policy campaigns move forward there's always these there are always these cover stories um, saying no we don't really we don't want chaos no one's saying really defund no one's saying don't get rid of the prisons and then somehow the reality breaks through uh, as in this case with with Alvin Bragg and then people get to see it. And say, well, this this actually all, all this talk that we've been listening to for two years now affects my life in a crucial way. Time, time, time to do something. Yes, the learning the hard way. And I will say this will put him at absolute odds with the new mayor of New York, who's been whose whole tough on crime messaging won him the election, also a Democrat. But this will be an and I think a lot of maybe some of our listeners don't realize that the mayor doesn't have control over. You know, he doesn't appoint the DA in Manhattan. The DA is an elected office. So you can elect a crazy progressive DA while having a sort of tough on crime mayor. And that's going to create in real time. Every time there's a major crime, I hope the mayor is forefront in front of the microphone saying this is what this policy has done. Look at this. These people will not be brought to justice because of these policies of our DA. He should make him his enemy number one and have him at the forefront of every conversation about crime in the city. The crime spike in New York began in January of 2019 after bail reform was passed that led to the release from uh, bail reform and parole reform and various other measures of criminal justice reform. A month after, a month after that law was passed, crime numbers started to go up in every category in New York and have, and have continued to go up over the last two and a half years. And it was that that got Eric Adams elected. He was the only Democrat willing to say, I don't like this bail reform bill. I don't, this is not the way to go. 
it's interesting because he began as a kind of revolutionary policeman uh, starting an organization called 100 Lives, uh, 100 Black Men in Law Enforcement Who Care in the 1990s, whose purpose was to sort of humiliate, to stand up to Rudy Giuliani and talk about how, you know, the police department that he was in was racist and cops hate him. A lot of you know, mainstream cops really hate him because they think he was a you know, he was sort of like a a menace inside the department. But nonetheless, this is the issue that he ran on and won on. Um, and uh, with and so we already have evidence that uh, this message works in New York City itself and in the Democratic Party in New York City itself. Brag, you know, uh, it's an office that very few people paid attention to. It's not quite clear to me how he won over. There were various other candidates in the race. Um and uh, uh, but he took it quite quite easily. Um, this is the dream come true for an entire world of academic activist, uh, uh, liberal leftist academic activist. Uh, the 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 decar the decarceration crowd. It's a big issue. It's this idea that too many people in America are in prison. You are essentially consigning. Uh, wildly disproportionate numbers of African-Americans in particular to a life in the criminal justice system, thus creating multi-generational, not just multi-generational poverty, but multi-generational sort of criminal experience where the only fathers that these people know are, are that, 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 that such people have are, you know, fathers in jail. This needs to stop in order to re, you know, reintegrate them into society give them a chance and all of that Abe, you uh well if you want to talk about wildly disproportionate um the people who these policies affect wildly disproportionately are black and hispanics um it is in black and hispanic communities where the crime surges beyond all measure um when when these policies are enacted we just saw it in in the in the massive crime spike after uh, the summer of 2020, uh, when when the defund movement first t- took off, um, well over the majority of the rise in murders and homicides took place in Black and Hispanic communities in America. So, right, you know. So you know, in 2020, you quoted this in your original piece. Yes, this is a revolution. Um, you know, the thing was, people said defund the police. Then all these people went, no, 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 it's not defund the police. And then there were op-eds where Black Lives Matter activists and others said, yes, yes, no, we really do mean it. We really do want to defund the police and close police departments. But you know what? There's still deniability in, 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 in the world in which those op-eds are being written by, you know, somebody who works for some leftist justice organization. Like, who do they represent? They don't represent anybody. Maybe they're getting some of that $24 billion, but they are not representative of anything except a mindset on the left. Alvin Bragg is an elected official in New York City about to about to lay down or has laid down rules for the 500 prosecutors in his office that, by the way, conveniently do work to make sure that like Harvey Weinstein would still go to jail, by the way, because it says, you know, domestic violence and certain sex crimes like those 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 are exempted from the. No. And, you know, and I'm sure, by the way, that there will be a general exemption granted for, you know, the person 
that Tom Wolfe in the Bonfire of the Vanities calls the great white defendant. You know, the uh, if you can just if you can get a kind of unrepresentative case where you have a guy like Harvey Weinstein or or Dominic Strauss-Kahn or whoever the you know the sort of like the celebrity white defendant that, that you can throw the book at them that'll that'll be totally fine. But generally speaking, yeah, somebody who goes to rob a bodega is going to have his crime knocked down to a misdemeanor, brought to a judge as a misdemeanor, and 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 not not appropriately sentenced for a crime that was more violent than he was in fact charged with. Can, um, can I just, can I pop in here and just say that, that this is to me, it's a similar sort of strategy that's being used by the progressive left in this country. It's the same strategy that they're using for things like uh, judging merit or, or grades or standardized tests in education, which is they will claim if they're not getting the results they want, instead of trying to figure out the root causes and, and address those, which is a, which is a complicated uh, thing to do that takes time and energy and, and real work to do, they just change the rules, right? So now we have a situation where you cannot talk about the racial disparities in, in incarceration in this country unless you also talk about the racial disparities in the commission of violent crime in this country. They are stark. They are horrifying. And if you bring them up, you're called a racist. If you just point to the statistics on homicide alone, but they are a reality and there are a number of causes. There are a number of reasons for it, but you cannot solve the problem of incarceration until you solve the problem of violent crime commission. That is the complicated, you know, multi-generational, really uh, tragic problem in American culture right now that people like the new DA in Manhattan don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole because they have to actually address their communities on issues that they'd rather blame something vague like white supremacy for. There are a lot of causes. There are a lot of there are a lot of interesting scholars doing research on how to solve it, how to deal with that. I mean, we, we have solutions. People have tried stuff that's worked. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing instead is saying, if you violently put a gun to someone's face and threaten their life, we're just going to say that that wasn't a threat to their life. It's Orwellian. It's it's horrifying to me. You know, uh, nut picking was a term that somebody came up with in the like in the last 10, 15 years to describe how media institutions and people sort of find the most outre example, particularly on the right of somebody, right? And then elevate them. You know, some candidate for state Senate in, you know, Oklahoma who says that, you know, everybody with an O or, you know, whose last name ends with an O or an A should be, you know, should be thrown in a, you know, in a fiery pit of doom or something like that. And then they, then they get, you know, they sort of get, they become famous in spite of themselves because it's useful to take a crank and say, this crank represent, you know, is a synecdoche. He's a symbol. He's a, he's an object that stands in for the whole of conservatism or the Republican party. Alvin Bragg is the district attorney of Manhattan. He is not some state Senate candidate in nowhere, nor are his fellow DAs, nor is Chesa Boudin in San Francisco, nor is Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. These are elected officials representing municipalities, large, I mean, San Francisco is not that large a municipality, but you know, Philadelphia is a city of more than a million people. I think it's the sixth or seventh largest city in the country. Manhattan is larger than it's still, but it's only part of the largest city in the country. You will not be able to say, yeah, this guy doesn't represent anything. Like I say, what you can say is this is the future of America. This guy is the future of America. The people who elected him 
are big donors. They're don they're they're the same people whose foundations are giving $24 billion to to these causes. And like I say, there is no Republican candidate in the country. Uh, right now it's theoretical because the memo just went out. But when the crimes start happening and the prosecutions don't, when, when, when the proof of the pudding is in the eating and they don't prosecute murder and they don't prosecute knife crimes, they don't prosecute people uh, who burglarize, they don't prosecute car jackings, they don't prosecute a homeless person who punches somebody and throws them onto a subway track and then the person loses his leg when the subway train rolls over it. When that doesn't happen, every single one of those crimes will become a famous American crime. Fox News will see to that. The New York Post, where I work, will see to that. And it cannot be ignored by the mainstream media because people in the mainstream media live in Manhattan, work in Manhattan, and they will feel unsafe. And that stuff is all going to get used by the right, and it is going to be acknowledged by the left. And as I say, as a political matter, this is, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm unaware of a gift as large as this. Maybe David Duke. David Duke's actual nomination as governor of, you know, for governor of Louisiana was a gift this large. And certainly if David Duke had been elected governor of Louisiana, it would have been a gift that large. But this is something new. We are in new political territory here. I just want to say, yeah, regarding the nut picking, you know, radicals on the left who who now serve in government, forget about nut picking. They build their celebrity on their self-professed radical aims, on their self-identifying as socialist. You know, these are this is this is their sort of ticket to celebrity. I think you know what happens is um, sometimes the incentives of celebrity can can be at odds with the the incentives for political success um and it's not always clear in which cases it, it works out in which cases uh one hurt harms the other abe you're just saying that because you want to date alexandria ocasio-cortez we all we all know that yeah and you have a foot fetish <laughs> for her feet who doesn't no it's the boyfriend's feet you have to have a oh, the boyfriend's for. yeah you want to yeah, date yeah. her Apparently and you have she a has a foot fetish because she's obsessed with her boyfriend's feet i uh it's just uh, astonishing to me. Anyway, um, I don't mean to be sort of like cynical about the, how 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 useful uh, how useful this is, but um, I'm not actually because I think the outrage that this that this has already spurred and will spur as as the next four years progress, that outrage is righteous, will be righteous and legitimate and moral, and more importantly, an expression of a general sense that things are spinning out of control and that, um, and that a major political party in the United States has been captured by ideas that are head spinningly weird. Uh, it's fine to debate them in college dorm rooms like what would happen if we didn't imprison people maybe they would get a job maybe they you know well i can see you know it's not that and what's more people believe in the pun people believe in punishing wrongdoers i understand that there's a whole world of people who don't think that wrongdoers should be punished because the punishers 
are part of a system that is itself, you know, inequitable and inequitous. But uh, that's fine for them. Uh, and congratulations to them. And I hope they enjoy, I hope they, you know, I hope they enjoy the world that they're going to try to create because it is nasty, brutish, and short. And I just, um, you know, the backlash that Abe details in his soon to be published piece. Uh, and we'll get to the second half of that backlash uh, after I, I read an ad. Um, that backlash is not only sort of useful, politically useful to Republicans, harmful to Democrats, all of that. It is a necessary adjunct of the remoralization of American society uh, that people have something on which to unite on the grounds that there is something that that causes them moral disgust, which is not only siding with criminals over victims and siding with you know and all that, which is a which is an old story, which is sort of this how Democrats lost the crime issue for twenty years from the seventies onward, when crime was the number one domestic issue in the United States and may well be becoming that again, aside from inflation, which was also the number one American issue since everything old is new again. But, um, you know, we just, we need to understand that they, they are, they have slipped the controls. They're sort of normal political controls. Like you could say this to get elected, but then when you become the DA, you don't do it. You know, it's like you say it to court the base, but you don't actually do it. It's that whole thing about Trump, you know, sort of going in and saying he's going to, and then in the end, sort of governing mostly like a relatively conventional Republican president. I mean, you know, in terms of the policies that he pursues, because I mean, you can't do that stuff. It's crazy, mostly. And apparently, Alvin Bragg is going to do it. And 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 uh, and I suppose if he does it, and then miraculously, mysteriously, crime goes down, and there's wild uh, employment opportunities for carjackers and stabbers and and grand larceny committers and all of that. Who and they just all end up working a good forty hours a week and making a good living and all of that. That could happen. Can I, can I, this is an important point actually that we didn't cover that should also be noted. They will argue that crime goes down because by, by changing what they call a crime and making it this like a a misdemeanor, something that was actually a violent felony, calling it a misdemeanor two years from now, they'll be saying, look, violent crime is way down. Everything we're doing is working. Okay. I don't believe that to be the case. And here's why. And this is where Eric Adams and and this thing that you pose is a very uh, significant thing. Crime statistics are gathered not by the DA's office, but particularly in New York, where we know most crime statistics come from reporting by the NYPD, which is not part of the DA's office, is under the mayor's control. And, and as you point very wisely point out, Bragg is setting himself up to be the person that Adams can blame for everything that goes wrong in the city. And, and there's a history of this in, with mayors like uh, Rudy Giuliani. His favorite thing was to go after Con Edison, the, the elect, you know, the electric company um, uh, in a sort of populist frame, because he didn't have control over it and they were very incompetently managed and there were blackouts and brownouts and stuff like that. And they didn't know what they were doing. And he, and so that he didn't get tagged with it since he didn't have any control over it, he just went after their jugular, you know, very effectively. And here we got it because, you know, things are going to go bad and Adams is going to have, uh, you know, 
a whipping boy uh, that deserves, you know, deserves to be whipped. Um, let me just step back for a second and talk to you guys about uh, ExpressVPN because, uh, you know, when you use the restroom, you close the door behind you. You don't want random passersby looking in on you. Why would you let people look in on you when you go online? It's also private. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like going to the bathroom and not closing the door. Did you know that your internet service provider knows every single website you visit and sells that information to ad companies and tech giants who will use your data to target you? ExpressVPN puts a stop to this. It creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that your online activity can't be seen by anyone. I use ExpressVPN on all my devices. It works on everything, phones, laptops, even routers. Everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can still be protected, even if they don't have ExpressVPN. And it's as easy as closing the bathroom door. You fire up the app, click one button, you're protected. The world's number one rated VPN by Mashable, The Verge, and countless others. Secure yourself today by visiting expressvpn.com slash commentary. Use my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash commentary, and you can get an extra three months free. That's expressvpn.com slash commentary. And let's also talk a little bit about our friends at the X chair and what they can do for you. You'll look forward to sitting in your office because your body is going to feel so much more supported and comfortable. That is going to improve your productivity. It will help the X chair pay for itself because you're going to get so much more work done every day. If you're feeling tight or stressed, you turn on the LMX massage feature, choose some different massage options. Your office too hot, too cold, flip on the LMX temperature regulation, you can either heat or cool your lower back. And once you feel the customized support of X-Chair's patented dynamic a variable lumbar or DVL, your back will never be happy in any other chair again. So take my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair could be, you'll never go back. I promise us go to xchaircommentary.com now. That's the letter X, the word chair, commentary.com, or call one 844 4 xchair for $100 off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. xchaircommentary.com. Now, in terms of the backlash, uh, uh, we have a different kind of backlash uh, that is brewed and you know helped uh, get uh, uh, Youngkin elected in Virginia. And guess what's happening now? Uh, teachers who you would have thought had learned their lesson about the uh, monstrous way that they behave, teachers unions have behaved over the last year, year and a half in securing, uh, in securing uh, freedom from uh, physical, you know, physical presence in the classroom uh, while getting full pay, full benefits and destroying the lives, minds and emotional stability of tens of millions of American teenagers. Well, guess what? Chicago, Teachers Union has gone effectively gone on strike. And uh, the mayor, just like London Breed in San Francisco, the mayor who said she had had enough, Mayor Lori Lightfoot has had enough of the teachers unions. Christine, this is one of your issues. <laughs> I know. I'm on, it, it was I mean, it was very strange to listen to Lori Lightfoot yesterday. She sounded like Ron DeSantis. And it was kind of I, I was both a 
shocked and and pleased. She's going to dock the pay of any teacher who doesn't show up. Let, let's not beat around the bush. They are going on strike and they are going on. They're holding children hostage, the most vulnerable children in Chicago who are already way behind both emotionally and educationally from the fact that CP uh, Chicago public schools, which had one of the longest like D.C. had one of the longest shutdowns and closures of schools of any in the nation. They're doing it again. They're they're blatantly holding children hostage. It is appalling. They're they're claiming they're, they're basically using 2020 numbers and case metrics to argue that they it's unsafe for them, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, the science now is all against them. We know that schools are not uh, hotbeds of transmission, as they're claiming. We know that it's school is the safest place for kids to be. We know about learning loss. We know about the, the mental health issues that children have faced. So what I, what it's interesting for those of us who've been following this all along is when a union when a teachers union shows you who they are you should believe them and those of us who saw them last year doing this are like okay now you guys on the left are seeing you should have believed them this is the teachers union that while claiming it was unsafe for them to set foot in a school building for over a year had their leadership you know posting on Instagram from their Caribbean vacation pre vaccination where they were partying maskless these people are hypocrites they are horrible they should be fired. They should be, you know, parents should be outraged, which actually they are this time around. And everything should be done to make sure those kids are able to get back to school. Or this country needs to move even uh, more briskly towards a school choice system where the dollars that the state spends on education uh, rest with the individual child and the parent can make a decision about where to spend that money. It's their money. They are the taxpayers. It is their money. They should be allowed to put their kid in any sort of school they want that will be open and uh a place where learning is emphasized, not woke ideology. This is where this is the second stage that I hope we will see after these kind of outrageous behaviors by the teachers unions. And not just in Chicago. This is there's murmurings all around. My kids are still not back in school. And I will wait to see what the Washington Teachers Union does this week. It's it's going to continue to be a problem until somebody breaks the union. The other thing I'll say to end my brief rant here is that this is a perfect, again, perfect opportunity for Joe Biden to show some leadership. Yes, I know he doesn't control schools. It's the federal government, but he is bosom buddies with with uh, Randy Weingarten and very close to the other teachers unions who were some of the major uh, donors to his presidential campaign. All he has to do is issue a very terse statement uh, giving a slap on the wrist to the teachers unions in Chicago, that would speak volumes. I don't think he'll do it. He doesn't have the courage, but he should. Uh, but, you know, another sign that the message is continuing to break through here is that now we see a slew of articles in places like the New York Times and elsewhere um, complaining about or like suddenly shocked and traumatized about the things that have been happening with kids in schools over the past two years. This is, you know, a, a year and a half too late, or, you know, or a year and a half after we've been talking about it and people like us have been talking about it. But um, so there's like that, you know, sense of uh, 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 liberal revelation when 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 like the news hits them in, in another time zone. Um, but but that is now happening in regard to 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 the, 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 the covid, uh, you know, teachers union scam. School choice has been a major issue on the right for more than four decades. And it has never gotten appropriate purchase. Every now and then, every early 1990s in Milwaukee, there was a sort of a powerful school choice movement. In Florida, in the late 90s, Jeb Bush as governor instituted uh, a very significant school choice program. But for the most part, parents across the country 
viewed some of this with a certain amount of skepticism and fear. And they, a lot of people who were happy with their schools and happy with their school systems looked at this and said, I don't want school choice because I moved here. First of all, internal uh, public school choice. I moved here to get away from the bad schools and I don't want the bad schools to come to me. That's why I spent an extra $200,000 on my house was to live in this neighborhood where the people who were making a misery of the schooling where I lived before can't get to me. And if you make it so that anybody can go anywhere and the school systems are opened up in that way, I don't want any of that. And uh, I like my schools for my kids and I'm happy to pay the property taxes for them. And I don't want any of those property taxes going to somebody who wants to send their kids to a Catholic school. That's of no interest to me. I don't want to send my kids to a Catholic school. I don't want them to go to a parochial school and they're just going to take money, my tax dollars and use it to start this system. And it was always a problem. There was always a problem with the what a lot of us thought was, well, this is a gimme. Like you're just saying you should have control of the money and you don't want to give it to this giant bureaucracy that's just a maw that swallows it up. But people weren't buying it. This is the moment when what has been revealed over the last two years is that the teachers' unions are not interested in the good health and education and proper stewardship of America's school children. They don't care. In fact, they are uninterested in their good health. They are, they, they are unwilling to risk anything for the work that they do and uh, believe that it is their right to get whatever it is that they can get out of government using their flexing political power that they have because there are so many of them. And um, once that genie is out of the bottle and once Virginia and the people in Virginia say, I don't think all this money should be going to these people or their principals or the diversity counselors or the trans act or the, or the people who want to make sure that trans kids are on the swim team or can be in the bathroom with my, you know, with my daughter or whatever. Um, once people, once that connection is made, that uh, this is actually harmful to you, that the way your tax dollars are going toward education are harmful to your children, harmful to the good working order of your own life, which is what people who believe in school choice have believed for decades. I don't know. It's very big. It's very serious. This is a very, very serious turn of events. And um, uh, there is a there is a sense in which Randy Weingarten is, you know, the orchestra playing on the deck of the Titanic. Because at some point it's going to be every man for themselves. They'll play while everybody is, while everybody is, you know, trying to settle settle themselves down. Then it's clear that you know it's just everybody's going to die, and then it's everybody needs to go and find their and, own way. And it's worth noting some of the earliest in, invited guests to the White House after Biden was inaugurated: Randy Weingarten and Becky Pringle, who's the head of the other big teachers unions. He is in tight with the teachers unions. And that's why, I, like I said, I don't think he has the courage to actually even give them a mild rebuke, even though he should based on their behavior. But this is another political issue and should be a political issue for all Republicans who are running against the Democratic Party to point to that as well and say, 
this is who they are. This is who they support, not your children. They don't care about your children. They care about making sure that the people who give them campaign donations every year, which is the teachers union, which is a huge national gazillion dollar uh, lobbying group, that they get their way, even even at the cost of your children's education and well-being. It's already happening. I mean, we do have an election largely attributed in Virginia, a gubernatorial election largely attributed somebody who should have a Democrat who should have won by 10 points lost by three. Right. I mean, that's what happened. We saw it happen in a, in a, in a state that is a cent had essentially gone, uh, you know, gone blue and, uh, and, and stopping blue, uh, largely on this, on this issue. So just as, uh, Alvin Bragg provides a way, uh, provides no safe Harbor for any Democrat in the country from the issue of, uh, criminal justice reform becoming a way in which criminals are no longer held accountable for their crimes against other ordinary law-abiding citizens who are just trying to get through the day. Uh, the entire structure of American public education is now going to come under serious populist question in a way that it never has before because it's already been shown to work. And once you get a test case and the test case is positive, uh, or neg. I mean, that's the problem. Like now, I'm sounding like COVID. You know, it's like once, <laughs> once the test case proves a serious test case. That was the uh, rapid test. The midterms of the PCR. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Right. Well, you get your rapid test, then you get your PCR, and then the PCR lingers. Right. The whole thing about the PCR is it uh, it remains positive for a long time. Anyway, whatever this analogy is. Um. It's a very, it's an interesting moment, but but a sad one, right? Because we're talking about danger to people in the form of in the form of this bizarre refusal to prosecute uh, people for the crimes they commit, and the fact that Chicago school children who have been through hell are now going to be subjected to another six months of hell uh, because of these monstrous evil people. And uh, and 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 again, Democrats are just not going to have any safe haven from the idea that they are connected to this and that this and th these are their people because they are. Uh, and okay. it's, it doesn't help them that things generally in the country are not going well. Uh, it's a whole lot easier to ignore or sort of explain away these kinds of problems when everyone is prospering. They're not. So you are, you, the, the focus is on misdeeds mistakes, broken promises, and the like. So with that, we will bid you adieu until tomorrow. Maybe we'll have some special guests in the next uh, week or so to help uh, fill in for the absent Noah. Uh, but until he returns, it's just, just us here every day. So for Christine and Abe, I'm John Podhortz. Keep the candle burning. <laughs>